well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm so glad you're with me on the program today. It is a beautiful spring day in Farmville, Virginia. I think the high is going to be like 68. It's fantastic. Perfect weather for shorts and a hoodie. One of my uh, favorite cargo shorts with flip-flops. Uh, one of my favorite kinds of weather. Uh, coming up on the program today, we're going to be talking about a, a state with beautiful weather and horrible gun laws, California, uh, where a, a legal challenge is underway to California's prohibition on gun ownership for those under the age of 21. This is a, a court fight that has been going on for quite some time and is up now in the uh, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And uh, as a matter of fact, you know, I got to be honest with you. I mean, this is one of those cases, one of the many cases that the Second Amendment Foundation uh, is a part of. And the Second Amendment Foundation is doing fantastic work uh, all around the country, challenging some of these gun laws that are just onerous uh, and egregious infringements on our right to keep and bear arms. In fact, the Second Amendment Foundation has a proven record of winning court cases that protect the Second Amendment and protect our freedoms. We can count on them to defend our guns from the radical left's overreach. And time is running out. We know the Democrats are coming for our guns, but Second Amendment Foundation will not play defense. They are proactive in the fight to stop the gun grabbers. And I know that they will not let us down. I know that they are in this for the long haul. You can join the fight as well. All you have to do is text JOIN SAF, that's JOIN SAF, J-O-I-N SAF, to 474747. Again, text JOIN SAF to 474747 to show your support for the Second Amendment Foundation's hard work to defend your right to keep and bear arms. Specifically, let's talk about this case out of California. Here's the headline from Reason. Ninth Circuit hears contradictory arguments on whether people aged 18 to 20 have a right to buy weapons. California insists that those under the age of 21 were legally infants <laughs> in the founding era. The plaintiffs insist that they were always a part of the quote-unquote militia, which was the body of the people. And uh, definitely included individuals under the age of 21. According to Reason, California insists that, quote, founding era sources confirm that those individuals under the age of 21 were considered infants without the full panoply of rights at the time. And consistent with that reality, jurisdictions have long restricted firearm access to individuals under the age of 21. Uh, now, as Reason points out, those suing the state of California insist that early Americans under the age of 21 were, in fact, in founding times, part of the organized militia, which are mentioned explicitly in the Second Amendment. California says it doesn't matter that 16, 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds, certainly, 19, 20-year-olds, certainly, would have been considered a part of the body of the people capable of bearing arms. They would have been a part of the militia. California says that doesn't matter, because even if they had a duty to bear arms in defense of the state. They did not have a right to bear arms in defense of themselves. California's brief says, the fact that the first militia act included persons below the age of 21 in the organized militia and imposed an actual duty to keep and bear arms in militia service does not dictate that those individuals had a corresponding right to keep and bear arms, much less to purchase them rather than procuring them through their parents or guardians and insists that back in the founding era, those under the age of 21 were, quote, generally understood to live under the authority 
of their parents. I mean, I got to say, I think this is a uh, pretty bizarre argument for the state of California to make that, well, look, okay, yeah, so people may have had the obligation or the the duty uh, to bear arms, but that didn't mean that they had the right to do so. Really? Can you point to any? Now, I mean, this is the real question for California. Can California point to any founding era law that forbade those under the age of 21 from keeping and bearing arms? I don't think they can. They certainly didn't in their brief. Uh, California also says that, well, look, a Heller, the Heller decision back in 2008, they, they, they said that certain categories of Americans could be barred from legally owning a gun, right? And even though Heller didn't talk about those under the age of 21, Heller talked about longstanding prohibitions against felons and the mentally ill uh, should be seen as presumptively constitutional. But they said nothing about any sort of age limit on adults restricting or prohibiting their ability to exercise their Second Amendment rights. California, though, says, look, every federal court to have considered age restrictions on the ability of 18 to 20-year-olds to purchase, procure a license to carry, or even possess a firearm has answered that question by concluding that there is long-standing history of regulating access to firearms by those under the age of 21 that either places such regulations entirely outside of Second Amendment protection or permits them to survive intermediate scrutiny. Now, What's key about that is, you know, we were talking yesterday with Chuck Michelle and Steve Hallbrook about this Supreme Court case dealing with the uh, New York carry laws. And one of the things that both Michelle and Hallbrook said is that, look, this is going to give the court not only the, the chance to address the right to carry a firearm for self-defense outside of the home, but this is also going to give the court the opportunity to set the record straight on the proper standard of review that should be used when we're talking about uh, laws that impact our civil rights, including our right to keep and bear arms. And what they talked about, what, what, the, what the test is right now is, in essence, it's a balancing test. And a lot of these courts have decided, all right, we're going to look at, at gun control laws through the lens of intermediate scrutiny. We're not going to use strict scrutiny, which is the highest level of legal review. We're not going to use the lowest level. We're going to use this big, fuzzy, muddy, middle ground, intermediate scrutiny that basically means whatever the courts want it to mean. Uh, the courts can say, yes, you have a right to keep and bear arms. We recognize that right. What we're saying is that the state also has a compelling interest in public safety, uh, and therefore their compelling interest in public safety trumps your right to keep and bear arms. Now, both Hallbrook and Michelle say they are hopeful that the court is actually going to move towards an entirely different standard of review, the history, text, and tradition test. And under the history, text, and tradition test, I don't think California's gun control law prohibiting the ability of those under the age of 21 to legally purchase a firearm could withstand scrutiny. Uh, as reasons Brian Doherty points out, those suing to overturn California's law uh, reassert the vital importance of what California wants to deny. Quote, because it is undisputed that 18 to 20-year-olds were a part of this militia at the founding, it necessarily follows that these adults are protected by the Second Amendment sweep. They say the whole the idea that people may have had the duty to bear arms, but not the right to bear arms, is, quote, nonsense. Huh. I think they're right. Whatever the interpretive weight of firearms-related duties when determining the scope of the Second Amendment right in other contexts, 
We know from Heller that militia duties necessarily entailed Second Amendment, quote, rights to perform those duties because the very purpose for which that right was codified was to prevent elimination of the militia. The uh, plaintiffs also going after California's claim that the uh, uh, in the founding era, anybody under the age of 21 was considered an infant. They say, uh, as we've twice explained, it's simply not the case that 18 to 20-year-olds were considered infants for all purposes in 1791. And one context where we know that they were treated as adults was membership in the militia. Uh, Brian Doherty writes, as for California's assertion that existing law and precedent mark this age ban as one of the presumptively still legal longstanding restrictions on the Second Amendment, uh, the plaintiffs say that California's argument, quote, provides no answer to our brief explaining at length that, quote, uh, restrictions that appeared for the first time in the late 19th century can shed no light on the original meaning of the Second Amendment. And anyway, the smattering of outlier historical restrictions cited by the state do not show any historical understanding that 18 to 20-year-olds could be barred from acquiring common firearms. Now, again, this is the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. It is not as bad uh, as it has been in years past, but it is still... Um, I, I think a majority of the uh, what, 27 or so justices that are on the uh, Ninth Circuit, I think it's fair to say that a, a majority of them still are, are anti-gun. We're much closer to parity in the Ninth Circuit, thanks to the uh, judicial appointments by President Donald Trump, than we have been. Uh, but the Ninth Circuit is not a necessarily a pro-gun body. Uh, and as we've seen with the recent decision in Young versus Hawaii, in which the Ninth Circuit ruled that now the Second Amendment does not protect a right to openly carry a firearm. Several years after the same Ninth Circuit ruled that the Second Amendment does not protect the right to carry a concealed firearm, um, we know that those anti-gun attitudes are still entrenched on the court to the point that they can write, or I guess erase, the right to bear arms completely out of the Second Amendment and think that they can get away with it. So I I'm not... Um, particularly confident that the Ninth Circuit is going to do the right thing here and recognize if you are a legal adult at age 18, you can vote, you can serve in the military, you can bear arms in defense of this nation. Well, you should be able to bear arms in defense of yourself. That, to me, is the most common sense conclusion that can be reached. I'm not an attorney. That's not a legal argument. To me, that's just the most common sense argument. If you're old enough to be drafted, and carry a gun in defense of this nation, that you are old enough to legally purchase a firearm and bear that arm in defense of yourself and those that you love. And I'd love, to, I, again, I don't think California has a really good argument against it other than, well, at the time of the founding, 21-year-olds uh, were considered infants. At the time of the founding, most 21-year-olds, let's say, well, I, 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 let me take that back. At the time of the founding, by the time you turned 21, you were, generally speaking, either well-established in a career field because you had probably been, uh, 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 you know, put out uh, as an apprentice at age 11 or 12, and generally those apprenticeships ran about seven years. So by the time you were 19, maybe 20, you were done with your apprenticeship, you were ready to start work. As an adult, or uh, conversely, if you gone if you went to college, you started college 
somewhere between the age of 14 and 16, generally speaking. And you would have been finished with college long before the time you turned 21. You would have been, you know, clerking uh, for an attorney or you would have been working in a, a business, but you would have started your career. Many of uh, uh, those under the age of 21 would have already started a family in the founding era. So the idea that there are some laws out there that, uh, you know, refer to 21-year-olds as uh, infants does not mean that uh, all 21-year-olds at the time of the founding were considered mere children. Again, we go back to the militia. We go back to the Continental Army. We didn't have an army of child soldiers fighting against the British Redcoats, but there were 16, 17, 18, 19, 20-year-olds who were bearing arms uh, in defense of this new nation. So we'll see what the Ninth Circuit has to say about this. I am, uh, I'm, 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 again, not confident that the Ninth Circuit is going to do the right thing here. Uh, odds are this case will be one of those that goes up to the Supreme Court, and we will have to uh, keep our fingers crossed that the court will accept this case when it eventually gets there. But in the meantime, you know, we are seeing movement around the country at the state level. Kansas recently, uh, just, I mean, a couple of days ago, uh, overriding Governor Laura Kelly's veto of a bill that would have lowered the concealed carry age from 21 to 18. So 18-year-olds can now, well, soon will be able to get a concealed carry license in the state of Kansas. They'll be able to lawfully carry a firearm for self-defense. Uh, unlike California, where, frankly, most adults far above the age of 21, still can't get a concealed carry license. And those, again, 18, 19, and 20, have no way of legally purchasing a firearm in the state of California. All right, let's turn our attention now to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We will start there with a story out of Utah. Uh, a headline, suspect failed his, quote, last chance at probation two months before shooting deputies in Utah. This comes from uh, Channel 14 KJZZ in the uh, state of Utah. Joshua Johnson is this uh, suspect's name. Uh, and he um, recently pulled out a gun as uh, Salt Lake County Sheriff's deputies approached him on the lawn outside of a police station on April the 10th. He shot these two deputies, striking both in the head. The injured deputies returned fire killing Johnson. Uh, KJZZ says there's no indication that the deputies would have known who the man lying on the grass outside of the police department was or that the adult probation and parole department in Utah wanted to send him back to prison because he was a, quote, high risk and a poor candidate for probation. He is one of many offenders who uh, KGZ, KJZZ has reported on as part of an ongoing investigation into issues with the Adult Pardon and Parole Bureau. Uh, Wendy Halloran is a reporter of the station. She has uh, been reporting on uh, the agency, quote, not being able to keep track of dangerous offenders, something a whistleblower called, uh, quote, truly out of control. In this particular case, Johnson had a lengthy criminal history, but the station says he managed to avoid serious consequences in the months leading up to his death. In February of this year, Johnson was released from jail. He was sent to an offender treatment program in Salt Lake City. Johnson acknowledged at the time that this was, quote, his last chance after two years of repeatedly failing to follow probation terms on felony drug charges. 
Well, as it turns out, it was his last chance. But how did he know that it was his last chance? Because I'm sure he had been told many times before, Mr. Johnson, this is your last chance. If you don't cooperate and abide by the terms of your probation, you're going to go back to prison. And then he would violate the terms of his probation, and he would not go back to prison. The day that he entered this offender treatment program, he walked out the front door after what's described as a, quote, upsetting phone call. And then four days later, he ended up in handcuffs. Police in uh, Unified, Utah, arrested him for a stolen vehicle. Uh, excuse me, Unified police arrested him for a, a stolen vehicle in the uh, town of Mill Creek. Johnson claimed to have swallowed drugs at the time, so officers took him to the hospital. And then they released him. They didn't even take him to jail. So much for his last chance, right? According to KJZZ, the officers who arrested Johnson likely didn't know that he was a walkaway offender from the Odyssey house. The pardon and uh, or probation parole office says there would not be an immediate alert to the system in this case. As Odyssey House is a privately managed treatment facility completely separate from the Utah Department of Corrections. Uh-huh. And then February the 19th, two weeks after Johnson walked away from the uh, treatment program that he was uh, ordered to attend, a judge issued a warrant for his arrest, requesting that he uh, be sent to prison. But the next time law enforcement ran across Johnson, was April the 10th, when he was shot and killed. Ryan Carver of the Utah Fraternal Order Police says, when you put all this together, it's a criminal's paradise. And he says, the problem of dealing with repeat offenders who abscond is a, quote, complex issue that needs more attention from the state legislature. He said, it's very difficult to put enough attention on these people so they understand that they're being watched so they have less of an urge to commit a crime. We want citizens to understand this is a multifaceted problem. It can't be laid at the doorstep of just police. I agree, this cannot be laid just at the doorstep of police. The, the uh, probation and parole department has a finite number of officers. I'd be very curious to see how many individuals uh, each uh, probation officer is expected to keep track of. But this is a broader issue with the criminal justice system. But a failure here goes beyond the probation and parole department. Again, what happened when Mr. Johnson was picked up four days after he walked out of that treatment center for a stolen car. He was taken to the hospital because he said he had ingested drugs, and then that was it. They let him go. That is a failure of law enforcement, but it's also a failure of the criminal justice system because time and time again, individuals who violate their probation and are told, if you do this, you're going to be spending some time in prison, they don't spend time in prison. There are no consequences, or there are few consequences for violating the terms of their probation. And if these individuals understand, oh, okay, so I don't actually have to abide by the terms of my probation and nothing's going to happen to me. Well, do you think they're more or less likely to follow the rules? I mean, I think it's, it's only natural. That if they don't believe there are consequences for violating those rules, there will be more violations of those rules. So if you really want to deal with this issue, you have to ensure that those who violate their probation actually feel the consequences of that. All right, on to our uh, Armed citizen story of the day. Take a look at this uh, screenshot. You can see there in the uh, bottom right corner of your screen, that's a guy trying to kick in a front door. And he did not forget his keys. That is not his house. And as a matter of fact, that gentleman is about to get shot. 
This uh, took place on May the 4th in Escambia County, Florida. WKRG reported that this 54-year-old male tried to kick in the front door and ultimately was successful in doing so. And then when he gained entry into the home, he grabbed a knife, yelling that he was there to harm his children's mother. He went room to room, searching and threatening the occupants who had retreated to a bedroom in the rear of the home, and then he confronted a woman in that bedroom. That woman, fearing for her life, shot the man twice, killing him. At the time of the incident, WKRG reports the suspect had an active domestic violence injunction filed against him. He was also, you ready for this? He was also reportedly on his way to anger management therapy when he decided to stop off at the home, break in, and try to kill the woman inside. Escambia County Sheriff Chip Simmons says Florida State statute allows people to take reasonable steps to protect themselves from harm. You can see from the video, his demeanor and intent were clear. The Escambia County Sheriff's Office will defend a person's right to reasonably protect themselves against harm, even with the use of deadly force. We do not intend to bring charges against the occupant of this home. Again, you got a guy breaking down that front door with the intent of killing the adult woman inside. She grabs a gun. She protects herself, possibly children as well. We don't know for sure, but it sounds like there were kids in the home. I don't know about you. I mean, I'd call that a pretty clear-cut case of self-defense, and I'm glad that she had a gun. This guy, again, he had he had active warrants out against him on his way to anger management therapy. The system was aware of this guy. He didn't give a damn what the system was going to do. The system would have responded after the fact, right? The system would have responded when a call came in saying, I'm sorry, uh, there's been a shooting or there's been a stabbing and there's a woman who's been killed. That's when the system would have responded. And the system would have responded by revoking this guy's probation, right? Charging him with additional crimes. They would have intervened after the fact. I'm glad that this woman was able to protect herself before she became a victim. Finally today, our good deed of the day from uh, the Detroit area where an officer helped deliver a baby in a uh, hospital parking lot. Justin Childry, officer in uh, Berkeley, Michigan, in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. This uh, couple had actually called 911 on their way to the hospital saying, uh, I don't think we're going to make it. Can somebody meet us? And uh, officers with the Royal Oak Police Department found the couple on the road, said, follow us, turn on their lights and sirens, sped towards the hospital. Um, but too late at that point, Justin Childry heard the call go out. He was 30 seconds away. He said he decided to go help. couple uh, got to the hotel or got to the hospital parking lot, rather. But by the time they arrived, the baby was crowning. Uh, and so uh, Justin Childry knew he had to deliver that baby right there. He said, I started assessing both mom and baby, uh, ultimately suctioning baby, making sure that he was breathing adequately. He ended up cutting the umbilical cord. Uh, on the 911 call, the mom can actually uh, be heard thanking Officer uh, Childry for help. He said, when you're not planning to go that route, not planning on having your baby in a car in a parking lot, he said, there's definitely added stress. There are bystanders. The dad's extremely stressed, but everybody involved did a great job. He says, our officers at Royal Oak did a great job 
and all is well. So in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, to welcome a life into this world, a Berkeley, Michigan police officer, Justin Childry. We thank you, sir, for your very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. But we will be back on Monday with another uh, program. And don't forget, all weekend long, including next Friday, which, or tomorrow, Friday, which isn't quite the weekend, but uh, we will be updating BearingArms.com with the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. I also want to thank our VIP subscribers for uh, showing us the love, helping us uh, continue to report on some of these issues that affect our right to keep and bear arms. You can become a VIP member yourself and get exclusive access to content analysis that you won't find anywhere else. All you have to do is go to bearingarms.com slash subscribe, and you can use the promo code GUNS to get 25% off of your VIP membership. And we really do appreciate all of our VIP members. Thank you very much for your support. Uh, don't forget as well, you can subscribe to Town Hall Media on YouTube. That way you'll never miss one of these programs. Or at Rumble.com, just look for Bearing Arms Cam and Company. Look for Bearing Arms Cam and Company as well at Amazon Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, the townhall.com podcast page. Uh, also, if you're uh, around Thursday evening, I'll be uh, filling in for Stacey Washington on Sirius XM Patriot, 9 to midnight Eastern on Stacey on the right. And uh, we will be back with much more Bearing Arms Cam and Company coming up on Monday. Until we talk again, though, be well, be safe, and be free.